Welcome to Lift and Love Conversations, where we are building a supportive culture around LGBTQ families in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm Allison Dayton from Lift and Love, and I will show you how to lean into your spiritual discomfort to deepen and grow your testimony of Jesus Christ. And I am Jenny Hunter of Jenny Hunter Coaching. I will help you identify obstacles that could get in the way of sustaining healthy relationships and realizing the blessings of being an LGBTQ family. Each week, we will bring you lessons we've learned through our own lives, the experiences of families we've worked with, and conversations with amazing experts. Today on Lift and Love, we will be talking with Liv Mendoza Haynes, who spoke at the opening session of BYU Women's Conference last Thursday. If you haven't had a chance to hear what Liv had to say, here's a little clip. The Savior Jesus Christ has eyes to see beyond differences and into our hearts and our potentials and our desires. So I'm very pleased to introduce my friend, Jessica Livier Haynes, but she goes by Liv. I'm so happy that you're here. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. Welcome to the BYU Conference. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about you. How would you introduce yourself to all the people that are here? Well, my name is Livier, but most people call me Liv, and I really like it. I'm a young woman's president. I'm a daughter, a sister, a returned missionary. I am queer. I am a person who loves going to the temple. And above all of those things, I'm a daughter of heavenly parents who strives every day to be a disciple of Christ. As you can see from her, um, the small clip from the BYU Women's Conference, and I would suggest you go listen to it. It's an amazing session. Um, she has a great story, and she shares it with us today about being queer and um, being LDS, and that she converted in her 20s, went on a mission, and got married, and all those things um, she has taught us so much wisdom of how to belong and how to navigate these waters. So enjoy. Good morning. Hello, ladies. We are so excited today to have a very special guest. I'm going to have Allison um, introduce her, but it's like, um, I feel like I'm a little bit talking to celebrity today, so I'm pretty <laughs> happy. So Allison, who do we have with us today? Today we have Liv Mendoza Haynes who is the queer woman who spoke at uh, BYU Women's Conference this last Thursday. And Jenny and I were bowled over by Liv and wanted to talk to her. We're so excited to find out how this all happened. Yes, and you're gonna love listening to Liv's giggle. It's super. <laughs> <laughs> She's adorable, yes. So, okay, Liv, let's get started. Why don't you tell your story a little bit about like coming out and, um, just kind of what, let's just, let's do that and talk about your, your parents' reaction and let's, let's hear that. Yeah, well, it's actually a really funny story <laughs> because I think since I was little, I always realized that I didn't look at people the way my friends looked at people. So there was always this like thought in the back of my head of, hmm, there might be something different. But I also grew up in a very Catholic, conservative kind of family. So we didn't really talk about anything sexuality related. Like I remember when I was old enough to like have some questions about, oh, how babies are born and things like that. Right. My mom just bought me some 
VHS and like <laughs> books and was like, here you go. And like, good luck. Watch, watch it by yourself. But if you have questions, ask your sister. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so it was always like, hmm, I don't know, but I kind of just put it in the back of my head and moved on with life. Um, and then when I was in high school, I think, and beginning of college is when I started like going out with women. And it was just really funny because I would still say that I was straight, even if I was like dating a woman oh, and I would never admit to it. Plus, um, I was involved in like debate competitions. So I would travel a lot for those competitions in college. So I would only date women in other cities. I would not date anyone in my home city because I didn't, I was terrified of someone finding out. And at, like, I just, yeah, then I joined the church when I was 21, if I remember correctly. I didn't talk to the missionaries about it. I didn't talk to anyone because in my mind it was like this is something mine and like I'm not breaking the law of chastity right now that I'm getting baptized and I'm getting baptized so it's it doesn't matter right like it's it's something really really personal um and then when I was gonna serve the mission I was terrified because I was like I'm gonna be with a woman like 24 7 and I wasn't worried about like doing something on my mission because it was very clear for me what was my purpose but I was more worried about being distracted by my feelings than by serving people so that was kind of like oh I'm scared but I always think that I was blessed with ugly or unattractive companions because that never <laughs> happened or you just no, were not they were pretty but you were not attractive yeah, yeah just kidding just kidding they're beautiful women but I just felt like there was this like switch that was like turned off for everyone that. like I not just that a lot yeah like not just for women like I remember one time one of my companions was like oh like that elder smells really nice. But as in like, usually the elder smell like sweaty and everything. And it was like weird. And now like, I don't know, like I can smell anything. And I mean, you can tell I have a good smell detector right here. <laughs> so that was really interesting. Um, but I, I just like, I don't know those like that year and a half was kind of like, oh, I don't know where my attractions went for like anything. Where did you then, serve? I served in Mexico City Northwest Mission. Oh, wow. um, I had two mission presidents and probably the smallest mission in the world. Um, I remember some of my wards were like eight blocks, which is not normal in Mexico. No, right. just Salt Lake. Yeah, but um, did anybody know that you were queer then or did you keep it to yourself? I kept it to myself. Okay. Um, I didn't feel comfortable telling my companions because I was also really scared of female relationships like I had always had I had always struggled having female friends and like the few female friends that I have and that I still have have been my friends for like a really 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 long time Mm -hmm. so it was like I don't know if I can trust this person that I just met to tell them something as important plus I feel if you think that this is taboo in the U.S., you have no idea what it's like <laughs> in a Hispanic country. <laughs> like yeah. I, that's my understanding is that like it is a much bigger deal. Yeah. yeah, it is way, way more of a big deal, and I think that also comes from 
like a lot of us from Hispanic countries were converts. We didn't grow up in the church. So we still have like remaining teachings from our previous religions. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's hard to like, I've still heard people like saying things like, you're going to burn in hell. And I'm like, "Mm, that's not an LDS thing, but... (laughs) Okay. <laughs> You're like, no, nope, I'm the gospel. LDS, sorry. I'm like, mm, yeah, I might be in the celestial, but I ain't burning. <laughs> no, we, we don't do that. We don't burn. Um, <laughs> but like, but yeah, let me, let me yeah. ask you, how were you with God in this, like on your mission in this time? How did you feel with him? I <laughs> honestly, so it was hard, uh, like the first couple of months, um, because I I did struggle with like, am I worthy of being here? Like, should I be here? Should I not be here? Should I should I have told someone? And I actually so when I went on my mission, nobody knew, and none of my companions knew. But at some point on my mission, I really felt like I had to tell someone. So I had a heart to heart with my president in which I shared some things, but I still didn't share everything. And I didn't say like, this is how I identify. So I just mentioned something along the lines of, I have broken the law of chastity at some point. I didn't confess this before coming. And I know I did wrong because now I feel this heavy weight on my shoulders and I don't know what to do. Um, But my president was like, very very supportive and also something interesting is that my stake president had died like a couple of weeks before I left on my mission so oh my the president the stake president that set me apart didn't really know me so when I talked to my mission president and he had to talk to my stake president to figure out like because I still like I recognized that I took a, a selfish decision of saying I can do this on my own and I don't need anyone to repent from anything right um and that was not the right way to do it. it. It was hard. Plus, if you think about it, like I was 21 when I was baptized. And I think I was like 23 when I left on my mission. And almost one year out of those like two years or so, I had lived abroad. And even like those three years, I hadn't been active the whole time. Because right. every time someone would say something that was triggering, I would leave and not come back for months and then come back. And it was kind of like not, I yeah. always think that my most active time in the church, I mean, now it's different, but at that time was when I was on my mission. Like, yeah, you were just, that, it was very like, mm, roller coaster kind of yeah, just the beginning of your you were a convert you're the beginning of your faith journey yeah like I was figuring out things and but my mission president was super supportive and when he found out that my stake president hadn't been my stake president for a long time he was like you know what I've talked to the area presidency and I feel that it will be more helpful for you to stay here and like you've taken the right steps like you recognize that it, it and it wasn't so much about what I had done it was more about I slipped through the cracks and like mm-hmm. avoided having those conversations and made my way to serve a mission. So that was kind of the part that was more tricky, but he was always very loving and, and supporting. And I saw a complete difference in my teaching after that. Like mm-hmm. I didn't feel ashamed or embarrassed anymore. And I just felt 
free. I still like didn't have those conversations with my companions or anything. But then it was very interesting because we found a lot of people, mostly inactive people, that would tell me like, I'm gay and that's why I left the church. Or I remember <laughs> there was a a trans person, male to female, who was had left the church. I'm not sure if she had been excommunicated or or what like her full status was because we only talked to her parents, but she was giving blessings to people and like oh, wow. anointing them and stuff. But oh. for like it was just very interesting to see the reaction of my companions when they would hear that and my reaction. Like they were very different. They were like, no, that's completely wrong and we should Pretty much like we should raid her house and take away all the oil. And on my end, I was like, well, let's like, let's think about it. Like technically, like she received the priesthood when she was, when she was still like presenting as male. N nobody really told her like, hey, you don't have the priesthood anymore. So I was just trying to find like what is going through this person's mind to kind of understand. Um yeah their actions right at the end of the day like I can only truly know my experience but I can try to see like oh where is this person coming from and like more like seeking to understand yeah right kind of which the is the opposite of judgment right right like, and yeah. and she was trying to do something good yeah like it's not like she was charging for the blessings or <laughs> witchcraft or something like that oh um, but yeah after oh sorry no you uh, you just mentioned the triggering events that you would leave and I love that you brought that up because it, it goes to the of uh, the BYU um the promise of belonging um in fact in the scriptures in come follow me this week we're reading in doctrine and covenants 46 and I think for six times the lord commands that we don't cast people out. Right. And we think of casting out as like actually throwing people out, but casting out can also mean, um, I'm just going to read these definitions that I wrote down in my book, in my scriptures last night means to cast out means to get rid of um, someone because you don't like or need them. Uh, you don't want to take responsibility for them. You want to drive them out, expel them to disregard, reject, or to let go. Like, it's not just throwing someone out of a building. It's disregarding. It's rejecting. It's ignoring. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's not loving. And I think it's really interesting because a lot of times when I mention like triggering events, people automatically think, oh, it's because you were queer or whatever label you used to identify at that point. Right. right. But yes, some of them were because of things that were said about same-sex attraction, gay, lesbian, whatever you want to call it. But not all of them were because of that. Like, one of the things is I have infertility issues. And I remember, like, unfortunately, this is one of the memories that I have more engraved from my first couple of years in the church. That I was in a Relief Society class. Uh, my mom was a convert she like she baptized she got baptized like a couple months after I did uh, but I was living abroad so it was like this was like a year year and a half after we both had been baptized and this sister who had a leadership position 
was talking about motherhood and I can't remember what exactly what the lesson was about, but I do remember her saying the women that couldn't have children was because they didn't trust them. Oh, and wow. I, and like, the Lord didn't trust the women? Because God didn't trust, like, oh, infer- infertile woman was because you were infertile because God didn't trust you to send one of his oh, crazy. children oh. to you. And I, like, in English, I might sound, like, composed and nice, but in Spanish, <laughs> I'm pretty sassy. And I was ready to destroy this woman. Like, I'm not proud of what I wanted to do to her, but like, I was just so mad and hurt. And I'm just grateful that my mom was with me that one lesson because she grabbed my hand. Like I had my hand on my leg and she just grabbed my hand, like immediately reacted. She knows her daughter. And she was like, hey, I know, I know. We believe in miracles. So- don't listen to that. We know that if it's going to be for you, the Lord is going to provide a way for you to have children. And if not, there might, like, it doesn't mean God doesn't trust you. He has given you many other responsibilities and just, we will live in miracles. And that's all you have to remind yourself. That's right. And I kind of like calmed down a little bit for like two minutes and then I was like, no, I need to step out of this class because I, I, I like, no, I, I, I kind of wish you had said something because you know, there's other women in that audience. They gave that can't, is that true? Because that's such that's a falsehood, right? Well, and, and what your mom did was an act of, of creating belonging, right? Yeah. Like that is not right. right. We don't believe that. We don't believe in a God that doesn't trust women, right? Right. Like there's no Jesus in that. No. No, no. So I, I love that act of belonging that she created for you in that moment. And and that's what you were on stage talking about. And that's what Sister Eubanks was presenting and Sister Bingham and Sister Aguarta were presenting all these different ways to create belonging for people who are at the mercy of dumb stories like that, right? Yeah. Well, if you think about it, just imagine like a recent convert who, well, at that time I used the term lesbian because I was like mainly attracted to women. And I was still like, I hadn't come out to myself fully and used the term. So that's kind of what felt like, oh, that if I like women automatically, I'm a lesbian. Um, And I wasn't like as aware, but just like, no, at least knowing I wasn't straight, and then on top of that, I've known since I was like 17 that my chances of being a mom are like super tiny, slim. Like at some point, a doctor told me you have higher chances of having cancer than having children. We would just, you, we should just do a hysterectomy. And I was like 19 when I got oh that. My gosh, how devastating to hear at that age. And, and I come into a church in which most of the things that I hear about women is you need like you need to prepare to be sealed in a temple to a man and then have children and that's kind of like your worthiness and yeah. like all you can, can I ask you <laughs> why did you stay because like, everything that like like you're saying like why did you stay in the church at that point I think inside of me I knew that wasn't true like I knew that that was what my brain was hearing but that wasn't what my heart was telling me and I started studying more on my own 
and doing my own research and trying to like praying harder and getting my own revelation, uh, which it's also something um, was something very new for me because as a Catholic, it was like, these are your prayers. You memorize them, you repeat them. Like there was no communication between God and me. It was everything that was already written, said, and done. Yeah. Um, So I think that really helped me. And also there was always just this feeling of there's something good and right here. You Mm -hmm. need to find it. So your spirit was identifying with it, even though the words didn't always match with what you were feeling. Yeah. And that's also when I started like recognizing, okay, what is triggering for me? Uh-huh. And I know there's this expectation of like, oh, you need, well, at that time, church was three hours, right? But like, you need to come to church three hours and do this and do that. But in my, in my I've always done things my way, even if it's not the right way. Mm-hmm. But I was like, okay, if this Sunday, I feel that all I can do is come to sacrament, all I'm going to do is come to sacrament. Mm-hmm. If, I love that you gave yourself that grace. Yeah, so this beautiful. is super important. And that you... So you got pushed into an uncomfortable space and rather than feeling like you were a failure in that space, you started listening to the spirit and yeah. I, and the personal revelation that you were getting and then did the things that you needed to do to be healthy in the space, which yeah. I love that you brought that up because right, like, that's where, that's where we have to be in this space right, right. now. Cause you created a safe place with you and God. Right. Like you're like, all these people are saying things that aren't creating a safe place, but I'm going to turn to God and through you doing the work and getting your own inspiration. That's, I mean, obviously that's why you stayed. Like you felt safe being there with God. And some weeks you're like, I feel safe for an hour. Other weeks I feel safe for three hours, but like I God's in all of that, but that sounds so much like a loving heavenly father, how he wants you to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And also recognizing that the answer that you get at some point is not going to be the answer that you will get forever. Like that revelation is not permanent. Like I ain't Moses getting like rules written down. Like this is everything you're going to do. On a a tablet. Yeah. I'm not getting a tablet, but like, for example, I didn't attend relief society for many years and I will always try to find I will always try to find ways to justify because I still didn't want to feel like I'm a bad member because I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do right Right. but I also didn't feel comfortable at that time talking to at that point I had had a slight conversation with my bishop because I got a new bishop that I have a strong I had a strong relationship with but I still didn't feel at a point of like yes this is like who I am and I'm gonna come out and stuff but like I would find like if if they needed someone to fill in for a Sunday school class or for taking care of the kids or doing like I would always be like, like I'm your girl was like I'll <laughs> do it like I'll go I'll, I'll run and do this I'll I'll jump in on this class or whatever because hey, I-, I wanted to be nurtured but to where I feel comfortable and now like Years later, I'm speaking with the Relief Society General Presidency at like, the conference. <laughs> at the conference, from going of someone that was avoiding Relief Society classes for many years. Yeah. yeah and why were you? Why were you avoiding it? Why was it to not feel safe to you? 
I think I just felt like if I wasn't, well, in Mexico, we don't have YSA words. So it's all family words. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like I'm not a mom. I'm not a wife. I am not straight. Like, I don't really feel like I belong here. And they still had things like, oh, you need to wear tights. If you don't wear tights, (laughs) nobody should have to wear tights, P.S. Ever. Unless it's a super cute dress that requires it. Yeah. And even when I joined the church, I think I only owned one dress. And mm-hmm. I I had another incident in which I had a dress that I felt was long enough. And I think I went to share my testimony or for some reason I was in the pulpit. And when I came back downstairs, I went to my class and as my Sunday school class ended, a brother approached me. No, he and didn't. Told me that my no. dress was too short. No, he didn't. And oh. That my legs were not like crossed properly. So, oh. and oh my. I was like, wait, was this in Mexico City? Yeah, well, there was in Tijuana. I thought it wouldn't happen here in the US. I guess. And <laughs> I was just like, wait, what? And then the funniest thing happened. Oh. I go to Relief Society and I sit with my mom and the class is about grooming standards oh. and I like I hadn't said anything at that point and then I I just like stood up went out my mom comes behind me and I'm crying and she's sure. like what's going on and I'm like oh this brother told me that my dress was too short and I'm trying really hard I don't even own dresses and like I was buying like a new wardrobe to also look like I belonged Mm. And it was the funniest thing is then this other sister comes out and I didn't know she was the girlfriend of that brother because <gasps> oh he was God. an older brother. Like I was 20 something like early 20s. And this guy was like late 30s, mid 40s, probably ancient. And, like <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. wait, like older than me, like yeah, yeah. It, I feel like it made it even more inappropriate like if, if it yeah. had been one of my friends no it was inappropriate on every like, level it yeah. was still if it was if he had been one of my friends it would still be inappropriate but okay. at least we had like a punch support, you yeah. know like yeah. mm-hmm. so my mom then was the one that was like why is this guy like why oh, is he even looking at your legs like yes and it was she was like if anything like he knows me he should have told me or tell his girlfriend. No, he should like, say a word. Like, no, he shouldn't say anything. <laughs> yeah. So it was just uh, those like, I don't know. I feel like there are a lot of little cultural things yeah. that we're still working through. Um, oh, my mom oh, actually sure. went inactive and well, everyone in my family is inactive. And when I finally, well, fast forward, moved to the U.S., um, kept dating guys like dated everything that I could every not everything everyone (laughs) (laughs) and everything as well um and it just it felt more like a job you know like I would go on a date and go over in my mind like the list of things that a desirable eternal companion should have and kind of be like okay does it check yes no 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 no. just like checklist versus really what you were feeling yeah. And I would always go back home and feel defeated. I was like, it's not working. And I, I really felt that 
that's what the Lord wanted me to do, that he wanted me to marry a man. And I had to do the diligent work to find that man. It almost felt like I was hunting him down. <laughs> and whenever I found someone that there was like a little bit of potential, when I would come out to them, I would get responses like, oh, does this mean that there's double the chance that you're going to cheat on me? Or mm-hmm. that funny look of like, mm, you're into women? Woo. Yeah. I'm like, what are these creeps? Like, it just, yeah. no. And What was different it, about your husband? So it was just natural. Like, so, well, it was also a, a really creepy date. But <laughs> I... We met on mutual. We we met on a on a dating app. It was actually very interesting because I had met someone before him that I was like, okay, it could work out with this person. And then when I came out to him to the previous one, mm-hmm. he he was divorced and he told me he, in that moment he was like, I actually divorced because my wife came out and left me for a woman. Mm-hmm. So he didn't stop dating me, but he started treating me in an abusive way, like emotionally sure. abusive. He never laid a hand on me. And I'm not trying to justify him because he was still abused, but it was more like manipulative. And yeah. whenever I would say something like, hey, I'm not your ex-wife, he'll be like, but you, you're like her and you're the same thing. Mm-hmm. So I stopped dating and I was I was going to therapy. And at some point my therapist was like, hey, you still have to make friends. Like, at that point, I have been living in Utah for a couple of years, but all my friends were still in Mexico. I had like two or three friends here, which is not a huge support yeah. network. And, and at this time, were you just exclusively dating men? Yes. At that okay. point, I was exclusively dating men. Um, so then I was like, okay, I'm going to download the app again and start talking to my husband. And something that really touched me was, well, there were a few things. One is that he told me, um regardless of what happens like we're starting this as a friendship and we're gonna meet to be friends and then if something later on develops then great and if not like we're gonna be friends he's also from out of state so we kind of like connected on that and then we had our first date um at the sugar house park which is now like our landmark spot and when I went home I sent him a text Cause I like, I just like, it really enjoyed, we played board games and ate brownies and he cooked the brownies, which for me was a big win. I was like, he didn't expect <laughs> me to bake just because I'm a woman. A um, man who could bake is attractive. <laughs> yeah. And I also can't bake in general, but he, <laughs> he brought brownies and we play games and everything. So when I went home, I texted him and I just say, Hey, by the way, uh, there's something I need to tell you. Um, I'm attracted to women. I've had relationships with women. This is not something that like gonna go away. Not like obviously if I start dating exclusive hip, exclusively, I wasn't gonna date anyone else, right? But I meant like my, this is part of my story. This yeah, is like my attractions are not just gonna disappear. Um, yeah. I'm not gonna go through my Facebook and look for old photos or old statuses to delete them or whatever. And at some point, you might meet someone that I dated because they're part of my life. And with some of those women, I still have a really great friendship. And it was this massive text. And <laughs> wow. he responded, 
I do not care who you're attracted to. I care about who you love. And I can tell that's the savior. So oh. we're still oh. on for a day tomorrow, right? And that like, wow, this is cheesy and corny. But I knew in that moment that that was the man I was going to marry. Like, oh, yeah. That- I, he, and he has never had a, like, Sometimes I've talked to him like, oh, this girl, like from like my ex-girlfriend or whatever, send me a message and it's her birthday. I'm going to send her, I don't know, a cupcake or whatever. And he's always been like, oh, what kind of cupcake? What flavor? Like he has never, yeah, he doesn't feel, he knows that I love him and that we're building something together. And I also feel that as a mixed orientation marriage, we were a little bit more aware starting off of mm-hmm. what kind of challenges we were going to face to a certain thing. Obviously there's still things that pop up, right. That yeah. like we have, we're not only like he's straight, I'm not, he's American, I'm Mexican. Like there's a lot of culture. He's like, has pioneer blood. I'm a convert. Like there are a lot yeah. of things that we're very different, yeah. but we're still building something together and he he's a, a more private person than me so i think that has been a little bit of a challenge um uh, because i participate like the conference yeah uh, how did he feel about the conference you doing that he was actually really proud uh, his sister was the one that came with me and every i talked to his family especially to his parents because i knew like I've been out, out for probably two or three years when this conference happened. It has actually been really funny because I talked to his family and I was just like, hey, this is more of a church related event. So more of your family and friends and everything. Oh, yeah. BYU Women's Conference is huge. Yeah. yeah People like, are going to see this. They're like, <laughs> they might. It's on the front page of you on the front page of LDS.org. LDS.org. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, there, you're no longer in the closet. There's no way. <laughs> I I didn't, I wasn't asking for like permission, uh, but it was more like I wanted them to be aware yeah. that it was going to be there because a lot of times, and this happened to my husband, like my husband would very naturally say like, oh yeah, my wife, or at that time, my fiance or my girlfriend is attracted to women. And move on with his life. I love how like, casual he is about like, yes, yeah, you know, I think that's an important part of, of your relationship, your marriage is that you were very open with one another yes. going in and yes. that's no secrets. That is an important part because yeah. you, you built a structure around that and have support and health around it. And, and, uh, you know, we want to point that out that that's just a really important part rather than going in without telling somebody. And that is like, I decided to tell him after a first date. Yeah. For some people, it might be, I want to wait a couple of dates. I want to make sure that this is stable or whatever. And I think it depends on a lot of factors, right? Like in in my case, like, as I say, something as trivial of, I'm not going to go through Facebook and like, edit it to make it look like I that was never part of my life but even um a conversation we had at some point in in our marriage I I met this girl and she was really cute and I had like a really good time talking to her and everything and I came home and I because I met her at work and I told my husband like hey 
what do you want? Like when I find someone that I'm like, mm, that person is interesting. Like, obviously like that doesn't mean I'm going to cheat on you or anything, yeah. but do you prefer that I have those conversations with you or what, to what extent do you want to be aware of it? Uh, because I feel like a lot of times people think because you are LGBTQ automatically you're not loyal or you're not faithful mm -hmm. or like you're going to cheat on your partner or you're going to have like multiple all wrong stereotypes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, well, and I like mean, Jenny and I have never seen a good looking guy or talked to a really interesting yeah. <laughs> right? attracted, right? <laughs> and thought we've wow, never flirted our entire marriage. Or interesting. Yeah. It's never happened. Not in 30 years. Like <laughs> and <hello. we're> nuns. <laughs> he was really nice about it because he was like, well, you know what? Like this is your coworker. And I trust you and I just want to make sure that you do whatever you're comfortable with. Like if you feel that having this person is like comfortable for you and it's a new friend or whatever, that's fine. If you want all of us to like go to karaoke or to the theater, uh, this obviously was pre-COVID. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's, let's do that. Um, because I know he's like, I know you're not going to go beyond like, you're not going to walk on a volcano because you know you can fall. Yeah, just and, three three words. I trust you, you yeah. know? But at the same time, I think that's really important because I still want to have female friends. Like, mm -hmm. I don't want him to feel threatened every time that I go out with my friends or that he's he's a paleontologist. So, for example, in, um, he's going on a dig in June. And if I invite a friend to stay over, I don't want him to be thinking like, oh, something might happen because it's not going to happen. Like, I, I know who I'm married to. I know who I'm love. I know the vows that I made, but like, I'm not going to live in a shell and like not have relationships with anyone. And also just because I'm attracted to women doesn't mean that I'm attracted to all women. Like, right. And I'm also not an animal. Like, I'm not just going to jump on them and be like, be mine. Because, like, it's, it's just not who I am. But that's very it, much the, that's the stereotype, right? Yeah. That's what the one that you have to work against quite it, often. It's just really, it's just really funny how, like, people think. And the only thing is, just because my marriage is working and we're happy and we're building our family, that I don't want people to think that I'm saying every LGBTQ person has to be in a mixed orientation. Yeah. Marriage. Let's talk about that a little bit. Cause you got um, some backlash with <laughs> that. You're married and you are representing the queer community and yeah. you're married to the man, okay. which I think is so interesting because like judgment is the problem that the LGBTQ community have, like people judge them and you're being judged for your personal story. Like this is where as um, a people, in America and everywhere, like, but especially in the church, we have to give, um, g gain tolerance for everybody having their own story and everybody having their own path. Yes. You know, and how have you handled kind of the backslash of like, cause I know people have said words about like, well, how dare she stand up and say she's queer when she's married to a man? Yeah. It has been really interesting how people react. Um, I feel that, when okay so I spoke for like eight minutes mm -hmm. and today we've talked for like over 40 minutes I don't know yeah. and still this is only a snippet 
of my story. Like I, it's just really funny for me to think that people expected me to change like hundreds of years or millions of experiences mm-hmm. in eight minutes. Like yeah. I, I know I'm not trans. I know I'm not single. I know I'm not in a gay relationship, but I, all that I can do is be myself. And I think that still made a difference. Uh, we heard terms that we hadn't heard before in an event like that. Yeah. Um, when I came I, out, to- I appreciate okay. that you use the term queer because that's what it feel. That's what you feel the most comfortable identifying as. Yeah. I, so just to wrap up the answer on my husband, then I'll go to the oh, term. Yeah. Um, like I wasn't trying to hide that I was married or anything. Um, anyone who looks at my Instagram or my Facebook can see that I'm married. Like it's ah. it's part of, of who I am and I'm really proud of my marriage. If I didn't mention that I was married on my first um, answer with the terms that I used to describe myself, Honestly, it was just because in the moment it like spaced out. And in my rehearsals, I used the term wife and it just, I don't know what happened. Like I could have used many other words to describe myself, Uh, but me being married is part of who I am right now. And I also have to make sure that not only I'm handling things properly, but I also have to protect my husband Sure, because- a lot of times when you're in a mixed orientation marriage, people think the straight partner is a hero. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh my gosh, he was this super amazing man that took in this broken woman oh, and fixed her gayness. And I'm like, I mean, my husband is an amazing man, but not I wasn't because- broken and I didn't need to be. Yeah, like it's yes. not because he fell in love with me. Like it's because yeah. he's smart and he's caring and he's patient. He's a special ed teacher. So I, I'm just amazed at the things he handles yeah. every day. Um, but being in love with me, if anything, just shows his good taste. But it's not, <laughs> Amen. it doesn't it. make him like a martyr or anything. And mm-hmm. then in regards to the labels, um, I think it's also something very interesting because I know the church feels more comfortable with the taint, with the term same-sex attraction. Um, that is not something that I am comfortable with. I'm actually not comfortable with any of the words that end in like sexual because for me they're more like based on your body right on like kind of that like animal instinct that you like want to pursue but in my case I care more about who the person is and how they make me feel um if that happened to be uh like nobody ever had made me feel the way my husband makes me feel no women men non-binary trans person and nobody he makes me feel loved and supported and he makes me laugh and about things that I had never thought I was gonna laugh and watch shows that I thought not even if I get paid I'm gonna watch this show <laughs> And I've learned more about dinosaurs in like two <laughs> years 
that I've learned my whole life. Like now what you when do I, for love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like now when I look at a dinosaur toy in the stores, I'm like, yeah, not that's not accurate. And this should be bigger or this or that. Like I'm still not an expert like him, but it starts like rubbing off on me. But I think it's really important that people identify themselves and don't let someone else impose a label on them I know the word queer can be triggering for someone mostly of like older generations Mm -hmm. um I have I talked about that because when I was a kid that was not nice yeah slang yeah and I think that's one of my blessings and curses being not a a a non-native English speaker because I don't have that background of the word like when I learned queer it was just like this joyful, happy term that kind of felt like a hug when I was able to use that term because I also struggle like figuring out like what am I? Like I'm in love. Well, like when I was single, I was like, I feel forced when I date men, but there's still something about them that like draws me to date them. But it feels more natural when I'm like dating a woman um, but I'm also attracted to trans women. Like, it's just yeah, and, like, and let's be let's because some people don't even know how queer is identified and um, defined in the LGBTQ community. But it's basically just an umbrella term that you're on the spectrum of the LGBTQ, right? Yes, and I know a lot of people that use it kind of as a placeholder when you're trying to figure it out. Like, I know I'm not straight. I'm something, but I'm not straight. Yeah. And that is also something very important that people recognize that you can change, right? Like I remember when I first came out, um, I came out to one of my friends. It was December, middle of the night. I call her crying. I was like, you need to come over to my house. She shows up, it's snowing. I open the door and I'm like, I'm a drug to the woman. That's the first thing I said. <laughs> and I will never forget because she was carrying a pizza and Flaming Hot Cheetos and Coke. <laughs> and she was a good friend coming over yeah. your house, all of that. <laughs> and she was like well I like I actually say I like women that's what I say I like women and she was like well I like eating my pizza warm can I come in <laughs> okay. and during the conversation I was like I I am a lesbian I feel more attracted to women I feel more comfortable with them the term same-sex attraction, I learned it through the church later on. Um, and she was actually the one who introduced me to an organization called North Star because her brother is trans and he had done one of the Voices of Hope's videos. So I started researching more about it. And I feel like a lot of times when you are in a situation that doesn't fit the expectations, you always feel you're alone. Like I'm the only gay person in the church. I'm the only trans person. And then you carry that like weight and that solitude. And that's usually what pushes you away. That's like the total opposite of the uh, sense of belonging. And I found a community of people that were accepting who they were and their attractions and whatever um, stage they were in, but still wanted to leave their faith. still wanted to share their testimonies, but you can't deny that there are things that hurt you still, right? There's still behaviors 
there's still actions being taken there's still words being said and to this day like that's still gonna happen unfortunately do I wish there had been a trans woman speaking with me yes like I would love to see a trans woman speaking at church but unfortunately we are not there yet and I just really want people to understand that me speaking up or me sharing my story does not take away from anyone else's story. It doesn't invalidate other people's journey. It doesn't invalidate other people's pain and hurt. Um, A lot of times I think like, oh, if I had joined, like now that I'm a young women's president, right? I was like, I know nothing about young women because I was baptized when I was 21. So I'm like, I wish I had joined earlier or been a member since I was little. But then now I think about it and I'm like, maybe if I had joined since I was little, I would have been hurt by more things or heard more things. Probably. Raised in a different way, right? Or not. Your heart wouldn't be so open. Yeah. Yeah. So I I always just think it's, I mean, I also live it as a Mexican and like with everything happening with like the black community or like, I always feel like I check a ton of the little boxes. Like I'm an immigrant, I'm a woman, I'm Mexican, I'm queer. Um, I should join the army or something. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but this is not like the Olympics of seeing who gets hurt the most. Yeah, or, like whose pain is most valid. Yeah, like, whose pain, pain is more valid. Or yeah. like I I recognize the need to hear more of these stories and more like and more diversity of those and you're trying stories. to pave that path. That's I mean the whole reason. Why did yeah. you get on that stage? I felt like we I just wanted to help people that were in a position where I was once that felt lost and hurt and didn't know where to go or who to turn um I was blessed with some good bishops that supported me and loved me and trusted me but I also had to go through my fair (laughs) side of leadership that did not didn't know how to handle it and or did not want even try to handle it or look for that guidance and I feel that as like the church is so big that sometimes it's really hard to funnel things down um Mm -hmm. those like positive things so I really really hope that me speaking at that event can help not only the LGBTQ people but even the straight people in the church, be that loving person, be that yeah. friend that brings pizza and flaming hot Cheetos <laughs> to someone who is feeling lost in that, that moment. Yeah, because that is what brother and sister ministering, that is what Christ wants us to do, to yeah. see the one, to see each other, to see and stop trying to label, stop trying to be like this story, this is your story or your story's wrong. Like we need to like let go of like and it's a work in progress we're messy human beings are messy right we're not going to do it well but as as we're continuing to evolve and the church is evolving like you like I sat there and watched it with three of my teenage daughters and they were like that is so cool seeing you say that say that like like they like knew like you cannot you can't watch this and we're do the clip at the beginning of this podcast but of without feeling the spirit of what you were saying and that like we are all children of God and the rest of the stuff really doesn't matter 
It, yeah. Well, and Liv, I, when you were talking, and I've thought this many times, like we are a pioneer people. And the pioneer folks came across the plains kind of not, kind of sort of knowing the way, right? Sort of knowing where they were going. But they had no map. No map. Yeah. <laughs> they had like the, the trappers maps and just really primitive stuff. They made it here in these huge wagons. They came and did you know, they plowed the way. And then the next group came in the hand carts, which moved faster, right? They were more agile, but they had their own problems. But this, this pattern of, you know, getting this slow, arduous trip a little bit faster, we get more people here and then we get train tracks and the trains bring people in. And that's mm -hmm. the progress that happened, bringing saints to Utah, to the gospel. And then they spread out, right? Like, we can't expect the train tracks before we get the pioneer over mm -hmm. on the wagons. Like you standing up there with Sister um, Sister Eubanks and and the rest, and that support of them supporting you being, you know, honest with who you are, honest with your, you know, like true to your label, true to what you are, and and talking about pain that those are wagon wheels across a mountaintop. And I, like, I, I was so moved. Yeah. That they, and when Sister Eubanks said, you've made us better. Oh, I was like, yeah, this is better. Yeah. We are gathering our LGBTQ queer family back to us. And just like in the verses of Doctrine Come in 46, like we're bringing back gifts that we had before cast out. We're bringing back those special gifts that someone like you, someone like, you know, all of the people, our, our next great speaker who is a trans woman that she will teach us. Like the gifts are coming back to the church and the Lord needs all of the gifts in the church. Like, he, you know, like we're one body, one gift or like many gifts to make this church beautiful. And yeah, I saw it as our really, it was so amazing to me to see that. And to see you be part of it. <laughs> no, yeah, we applaud your courage. We know it took courage. I mean, you are the first that we could even say, right? I mean, I've been going to BYU Women's Conference for years and they talk about it a little bit in some of the talks, but to be in one of the main sessions and to like, that just tells you um, the Lord, it's, the Lord is mindful of the queer community and like, he wants you back. And he wants us as saints to repent and to make a safer place. And that's what, why you got on that stage, to make a safer place for the next generation. And how did it feel being the women? How did, Liv, how did you feel about that, having the women deliver that message to the church? For me, it was, I know it's hard because, I don't know, like I've heard this joke of like, oh, we always need the women of the church because someone has to set up the flower arrangements and the treatment <laughs> and the treats. Um, but when I think about the, like, the women in my life, they have always been strong leads and people paving the way for all their things. Like the first person I came out to was a woman and I like most of the people reaching out to me about the conference are women, not only because it was focused on women, but they felt that like connection, right. Of like, I can, I see you and I'm here for you. And I hope like at some point we also hear the brethren 
talking about it, but I don't think we should be dismissive of the women authorities saying it. Like I've read comments of people like, oh, but when is like a general authority going to say it in general conference? And I'm like, Sister Eubank is a general authority. Like we we complain about the bread. Like I understand the structure and the dynamics and, and I see what people are trying to say, but I also feel that then we should empower that message more and we should spread it out. Like on Sunday, my bishop told me he received the clip from the, like he knew I was going to participate and my stake president knew, but the stake president sent the clip to all the bishops. Oh, like me mm-hmm. um, So, and he made it a point of them like, watch this, right? Um, it yeah, was a message. Like the voices of women. It was a message given in a women's conference, but I feel it was a message for everyone, not just members of the church, but everyone. We just want to wrap up with, um, just what your feelings about lifting and loving are, because that's what this space is about is lifting and loving. So do you have thoughts about that? I think for me, lifting and loving is, I, I don't want to get emotional. <laughs> get but emotional, bring it in. It, Go on. It's not denying that we are not perfect, but we are here for each other. There, there might be things and there might be moments in which like people look at me right now and they're like, oh my gosh, she's so courageous and brave and did this. And, and I've cried this last couple of days reading some of those comments and going over what I said and thinking, did I gaslight someone? Did I misspoke? Did I use the wrong word? And then when I get out of like looking at it from the spiritual church standpoint and thinking, was my English right? Did I express myself correctly? And then I listened to the Portuguese translation and it was wrong. And then I listened to the Spanish one and my name was, was mispronounced. And in those moments, I needed someone to be there for me and Mm -hmm. to show me that I did the best that I could in my capacity and that there's still a lot of things to do. And I think recognizing those weaknesses in ourselves and not being afraid to be vulnerable is really what's going to help us lift each other and love each other because nobody is above anyone. I don't care where you are. I don't care if you have a title, if you are married or single or a leader on the church. We are all one family, as I said it in the conference, and we should treat each other like those siblings. I know that regardless of what my sister might say in one of our fights, if someone comes after me, she's going to destroy them. <laughs> she's going to make sure that I'm protected and that I'm taken care of. Yeah. I'm not encouraging people to destroy anyone. But, <laughs> but no, we, but that that love and protection, we need to show yeah, more to we each other. We really grace. need to be there for each other. And sometimes 
that might mean texting someone and just saying, hey, I'm here if you need anything. And sometimes that might be, hey, here's a copy of the Relief Society lesson. Even if for our sisters that are still not comfortable attending the Relief Society or that because of the guidance in their words, they're not allowed to attend Relief Society. We, we are there and we need to listen more and see more to recognize where those gaps are and not wait for someone to tell us exactly what to do. I've been impacted because uh, mostly in the Spanish videos, people have been saying that I'm being too progressive. And I'll close with this. I don't see what's progressive about preaching love when the savior did it over 2000 years ago. Like right. love, That's loving true. each other shouldn't be a new thing. No. <laughs> and, and I, I, how can anybody have a problem with that? Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you are so dead on. And that is exactly what you exuded when you stood up there yep. for all to see and and made yourself vulnerable and, and paved the way for us to do it better. Yeah. You are amazing. Yes. We love Thank you, you we so love much for coming on and telling and yes. your, so your view and your honesty. Thank you so much. No, thank you for having me. I'm really excited that I got to meet you. <laughs> yes. Such a treat. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for joining our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the Lift and Love podcast. And if you like what we share, we would be so grateful if you would leave us a five-star rating. For more tips and resources, follow us on Instagram and Facebook under Lift and Love Org and Jenny Hunter Coaching. You can also go to liftandlove.org for loads of information and entry into our free support groups. If you're interested in personal coaching, sign up at jennyhuntercoaching.com. The first appointment is free. But most importantly, remember, you are not alone in this journey. We are building a community of thriving and faithful LGBTQ families who are here to lift and love you.